Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. Go marching one by one. Hurrah. My kid, uh, when <laughs> I was humming that song, and he asked me what it was, and I said it was when Johnny comes marching home, and uh, he was like, "No, Daddy, that's when the ants, <laughs> the ants go marching one by one." Yeah, get it straight, Jack. Yeah, I'm four, <laughs> and I, I've heard this before. Okay, <laughs> listen up, bud. Oh, all right, so. Yogi, we are finally Lost Link again. Uh, it's, it's been a minute, but uh, I think we should talk about air power stories. Okay. Kind of big picture. We'll work from uh, why stories are important to organizations, kind of like in, in that they provide a kind of a nexus for initiates to coalesce around and provide kind of a a history and a larger, grander story for an organization to emulate, right? Um, sure. So we'll yeah. talk about that. Uh, for the U.S. Air Force, I'm thinking of stories like the bombing of Ploesti. Uh, maybe bigger than that is like the story of the whole 8th Air Force and their daylight bombing raids over Germany. Uh, you could think, to a small degree, El Dorado Canyon. Uh, when we went and bombed Libya, like, there was some big like tanker bridge stuff involved with that and F-111s launching out of England and you know, one hopping all the way down into Libya and back. Not talking about like the the more recent Libya stuff. No, no, I'm talking about the <laughs> the stuff in the '80s after the uh, uh, Pan Am flight '83, uh, maybe the one that blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the stories like that. Then you've got you know all the Vietnam stuff, F-105s and F-4s over Hanoi. Uh, there's there's a lot there that the Air Force has like in its soul, right? Yeah. Uh, that creates modern Air Force. Same thing, the Air Force has a soul. Sure, a metaphorical soul. How about that, right? Um, <laughs> Not a literal soul. But those stories do seem to be drying up. And like yeah. by, for my accounting, dude, it's been about 30 years, and I can, I'm having a hard time thinking of like some real stories with a, with a solid through line from the Gulf War and afterwards. Like We did some cool stuff. Yeah, flew this... stealth for the first time operationally, like where we acknowledged its existence, right? Uh, but outside of John Warden and, I don't know, General Horner, maybe? That whole story. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, but that's not even necessarily air power. That's some political bickering stuff. And except for John uh, Warden, right? With his yeah. five rings and all that fun stuff. Uh, and dude, RPAs might be even worse. Like I have, I struggle to think of 
large stories uh, that are through. And it's partly because we're probably we're in it. We're smack in the middle of that RPA story. So in time, the 20 years of flying RPAs over Afghanistan and snuffing out the enemy, you know, one by one, and just the the slog of doing that will probably become an air power story. Yeah, either yeah, either the stories themselves are drying up, or to a certain extent, we're not. Uh, they're not getting out. We're being deemed worthy of uh, yeah. of uh, a claim. So, so there, yeah. there, there's there's multiple elements there probably right, and we'll yeah. hopefully we'll try and get to the nut of those. Um, and may and may, like maybe a part of that is just that it's all our stories these days are more about the technology. And we're, and we're losing some of the, the human portion of it, which makes the stories less compelling to humans, naturally. Uh, but let's rewind back to the top of that, right? And we'll start with uh, why would you say stories are important to us as human beings and as to the Air Force as a organization? Yeah, um... Stories have have different different uh, impacts or, or purposes. Um, been a whole lot of theory written about like what what the purpose of tragedy is and like why you would tell a a, a tragedy story. Yeah, and its effects on people. Um, I won't get into that, but there's there's all kinds of different academic take hot takes on like why do people want to listen to stories that are about bad things happening to people. Well, I mean, right? you can like make that as simple and as plain as possible is you need to see bad leadership and you know when you see that you're always like well now you know what not to do right and if you want to take it to a very simplistic thing for modern times bad stories have elements that you need to learn from yeah or like there's a catharsis there or yep, whatever right? like uh um, like Plato, Nietzsche, all these different people have different theories about, and Aristotle about like what's going on in tragedy, for example, right? Yeah. Um, they also have different theories about comedy. Like, what's what are we really getting out of comedy? Like, why does it work? Right? Like, it seems simple enough. Like, we laugh, but like, what, why? Why? What's really the point of of telling these stories? Like, what are we really getting out of it? Um, for what we're talking about with air power stories and military stories and historical stories um like military adventure stories all have a i think a specific point that might be different from these other stories um so in one sense yes like you said modeling is very important so um modeling things that go wrong historically or on these other things or modeling like the high potentials of that organization that, yeah. that these people did um and so by seeing what these people did historically in this adventure story, that this is a possibility for you being in that same organization and that ostensibly in that same field, there's a line between that story and that setting and that person and you in your setting in your own story as a person. Right. And that even though you might not do the same thing, it might not be you know, most people might not achieve, say, like what some ACE did in World War II, some spectacular thing, right? Or what the Eighth Air Force did, they're never going to be a part of that. Like, or on, on the whole, right? We're not going to be a part of that. Or all the like instructors that. in the Ninth are not going to be 
Richard Bongs. Yes, you know, exactly. Down 50 plus, but he is the exemplar of excellence. So it shows that there's a that that's a possibility in this world to aspire to in this organization and that by just being in that organization with a through line between those two things just two points in time and those two people that you yourself share in that glory and carry it forward and can build on it in a small way or potentially a big way but that this is a possibility and that this is a model that exists that that can become again and yeah. that, and uh, it lends weight and meaning to the organization through the stories of those people um, and, and the potentialities of, of its current iteration as well, right? This was our glorious past. We can have a glorious future as well. Right. Um, what would Richard Bong think of your performance today? <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are all communicated like subliminally or like not not on the nose all the time like people are not asking what what would Richard Bong do <laughs> yeah yeah um but but it's it's there's a there's an aura there's a mystique that that transfers to you via the organization via the story of this person in the organization's past um that I think is specific to like the adventure historical war genre when we're talking of stories where someone's talking about adventure story even if it's a fiction if it's like about sailing that and there's some crazy stuff happens in some sense like this is a possibility in the human world and human in the human uh, condition to experience these things and it excites us and models that as like this could happen and more importantly this could happen to me if i was an adventurous soul like this in the right circumstances right right and, and there's a little bit of that uh, fire that comes out um so uh, it's very important for investing to sum all that up. Uh, it, it invests meaning into the organization because it expresses the, the potential for high human experience um, in these positive air power stories, which I think what we're really talking about because uh, we could talk about negative stories <laughs> coming from yeah, air sure power and military as well. But I think it seems like we're talking mostly about like the positive inspirational stories. Yes. And those invest us with a sense of possibility for ourselves, right? That this happened once, it can happen here again, right? And and I'm in the same organization in which this once happened, and this can this can continue. Okay, so I think that's eloquently put. Um, any thoughts on why so many stories came out of World War Two and the time surrounding that. So so one of the first times our air power was primary, right? In the its ability to deliver effects and effect a war. Like, yeah, we had air power in World War One, but it was mostly a sideshow. You know, some reconnaissance stuff, some dropping some grenades on some shit, but then like shooting each other down, that was the big thing during World War One. Yeah, we didn't have like a getting a machine gun that could uh synced with the propeller blades was like the big innovation, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you've got, you know, uh, Eddie Rickenbacker and uh, the Sopwith Camel and all the other stuff that kind of came out of World War One. Great. Not, not to mention Snoopy's dogfights with the Red Baron. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, can't forget that as uh, two gentlemen, formerly of the 20th Attack Squadron. Hounds. Right? Um, but in World War Two, air power started to come into its own, right? And we had all the daylight bombing raids. We had the... 
uh, escort fighters and the Battle of Britain and uh, the Luftwaffe and their you know attempted valiant defense of Germany. You had uh, the bombing of Ploesi. You had air power in North Africa. You had all the stories coming out of the Pacific of you know Pappy Boynton and the the Eighth Fighter Squadron and uh, nukes over. Japan, and I mean, there's a, just a constant litany of stories. George W. Bush, uh, when he was a, what was that a, can't remember what the name of the aircraft he was in, but he was in some dive bomber, right? George Herbert Walker Bush, I should say. Um, and he got shot down, I had to bail out, and all this other stuff. But th- these stories exist, and there's a never ending train of them from World War II. There's some in Korea. Korea was more about the jet fighters, right? And the chasing of MiGs and the air-to-air. Yeah, Korea's kind of like the lost war, though, right? Yes. Uh, and There actually know, is a ton of great stories, but no one ever talks about it. Right, because it's kind of a weird one. Yeah. Um, so then we get into the mid-60s and uh, Vietnam, and there's a ton of good air power stories out of there. There's a lot Olds of... Olds and all of his stuff. Yep, and John Bennett and his Medal of Honor. Because uh, yeah. it's honestly probably pretty hard for pilots to earn the Medal of Honor because you are less likely to be in a position that requires you to make this valiant decision of my life for you know say saving somebody else's right the types of things that get you a Medal of Honor but Vietnam still produced a number of air power stories, even if they're like getting shot down and, you know, ended up, you know, years in the Hanoi Hilton and things yeah. like that. That is all air power stories. We have a Lance Peter Sijon, uh, yep. the only Medal of Honor winner to graduate the U.S. Air Force Academy. Nice. Uh, the, uh, that should say something about the Academy. And the, uh, that's, <laughs> hey now. <laughs> the, um, uh, but, uh, and which one of our major leadership awards is named after yep. right every year. Yep. So. But after Vietnam, what do we get? Grenada, Panama, some F-117 stuff stitched into those as we were trying that airplane out before it was recognized. And then Gulf War, where we had John Warden and his five rings, which good on him. He was able to uh, put words to or refine the words to a kind of a strategy we already had right back in World War II we're bombing you know ball bearing factories and we're bombing you know oil production facilities and things like that to try and grind the war to a halt make it impossible for the Nazis to be able to yeah continue their attacks and John Warden refined that yeah I, don't I think put I don't, a finer point on it yeah I don't think the five rings is uh the five rings itself is particularly uh mind-blowing no uh, the rest of john warden's story the, is the, pretty good too before he yeah. got into into that and then kind of the political fallout from there but yeah in the peloponnesian war the spartans were laying siege to the athenians and they were attacking all the farms right because that was the center of gravity to starve out the athenians and like prevent them from being able to like maintain this uh their resistance to the siege right rather than just directly attacking so yeah like this idea that there are centers of gravity has already has always been 
explicitly and implicitly understood forever so the five rings me it's (laughs) it's interesting like we you know oh man that's the hollow ground we're stomping on here part of our uh part of the part of art is to refresh something that's old and make it fresh for a new age Mm -hmm. so in that sense i think the five rings like refreshed a well understood older concept and that's good but uh you know not much more than that Excellent. So, but, but since aside, then, aside from that, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You got Scott Spiker, the guy know. who got shot know. down in uh, Gulf War Two, okay. and then there was some, you know, he. But he's actually kind of lost to history because nobody knows what happened to him, but people know his name. Okay, particularly in like the rescue community and things like that. But I have a, I struggle to think of any grand stories. A bear power. I mean, if no one knows what happened to him, he, he probably died. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If I were a betting man, and I am. He's not like some Japanese soldier living on an island after <laughs> World Still War II. Still fighting the Iraqis. Years, like, <laughs> fighting the Iraqis, right? I mean, sorry, sorry to that guy. Yeah. Because um, it seems to me that most of the stories that we have these days from air power, one, I think we've lacked a competent enemy for air power, like an air enemy. And even in Vietnam, yeah. like in the, the early stages, right, we had the, uh, you know, North Vietnamese Air Force. They, I don't remember if they had an Air Force. No, they totally did, right? And they had MiG-17s and they had, you know, some other MiGs and things like that. But like as the war dragged on, the North Vietnamese air power was primarily like surface air missiles. And that was kind of the big story. Like you're going to go over North Vietnam and you're going to get shot down not by you know the North Vietnamese Air Force or their Russian you know support right but by all these SA2s and SA3s and SA5s and all the things that they're they're getting deployed that was the huge threat for everybody uh, and since then we haven't had much of a competent air force to attack after that right so the kind of the the story or the the visual of you know, knights on their valiant steeds riding into battle against other knights on their valiant steeds and, you know, maybe a jousting uh, metaphor there hasn't really happened. Not for a while. Yeah. Right. Um, Or going into the abyss, right? Like flying, like flying into the flak to drop off paratroopers yeah. or bom- or drop bombs, right? Like into some horrible Yeah, just knowing thing. that this flak is coming. Yeah. And the dread yeah. of the, the hour flight, two like, hour flight prior 12, to it. Like a 12 o'clock high yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like we, we lack that now too, right? Uh, so I don't know where these air power stories come from. And how, how do we, is there is there a way to get them back? Do they exist and... We're just wrapped up in these politically sensitive wars, so there's a lot of not talking going on. Like the stories are happening, but they're being wrapped up in classification. I have a theory on that. Okay. Um, one moment while I take a swig here. <laughs> Sexy. All right. The. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, all right, so in, in World War One, 
is really the first war. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll try to we'll, we'll try to keep this uh, exp- expeditious because this this could be by itself a whole dissertation, All as, right. as I well know. Um, in World War One, that's the first war where technology, with the machine gun and and many other aspects, started to really eclipse the human body as its own as a as a meaningful unit of war right like no longer were even in the civil war even with the technology that were there with the cannons and the longer range rifles and things like that most of the battles devolved into bayonet fighting at the end and were decided at the end of bayonets yeah um pickets last charge and things like that yeah uh well just across the whole war and bayonet fighting is not too dissimilar to say greek hoplite fighting in ancient right. greece right um so we're we're like adding around the fringes a lot of this technology but at its core the human body thrusting or shooting something at a relatively close range into another human body was the deciding primary factor so the the animation motion and power of human limbs yeah and the was, number of the size of your army yeah mattered yeah World War One is the first war where that stops mattering as much. Most famously with the machine gun, where the a machine gun right, mows down thousands and thousands of people, and it doesn't matter, like how brave they were or like any of that stuff. Right. right. The human body itself cannot stand up to the power of this machine body which has its own energy and mechanisms that are very different and alien to the human body. Like yeah. the, the power of this body, this machine body, has completely overwhelmed the ability of the human body to withstand that and meaningfully impact it. Now, these machines are relatively primitive in that they still require human beings to man them, operate them, right? They, they have the power and the locomotion, but not the brain. Give them intent. Yeah, give them intent locomotion in a lot of cases right um but this is where that and that's what created the just awful quagmire that world war one is known for right yeah in the psalm i don't remember the exact statistic but thousands and thousands of people died for every inch that was gained by the british every inch that was gained by the british in the psalm because they had no better strategy at that point to deal with machine guns and trench warfare than just to throw bodies at it yeah till inch by inch they wore down the enemy. Um, the air. So I disagree with you a little bit that the we only there's a lot of World War One air power is not celebrated as much in America because we were not as deep in it. Adept. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in Europe and other places, World War One air power specifically is highly celebrated, and World War One in general is way more celebrated and thought about than in, in America. Is um, it? But are the air power stores in the in Europe praised and celebrated because they were like impactful to the war, or were they uh, celebrated because they were they were sexy? And this was man to man, you know, dogfights. Sexy. And, yeah. Okay. Uh, like I mean, impactful to a certain extent, but uh, not like determinant by any means. Yes. Uh, and. Right, just just a relief from the god awful, just 
meat mach- meat grinder, the literal meat grinder that was the the ground war. Yeah, shit and infested the, the rotting, swamp of yeah. mud and dead bodies. And right, it was a return to seemingly like you alluded to with the knights metaphor, like noble combat, like people knew each other's names and like gentlemanly chivalric codes could continue, albeit on these new winged chariots. Right? Yeah. Um, Gallantry was still a thing. Well, yeah. And that, so like not all hope was lost in World War One. Yeah. Right. Like that there was a little bit of not just pure mass mechanized warfare where the machine is just being turned on the body and we see that the the body is lacking, right? Yeah. And just gets consumed in the fire of all of that. Um, that there's there's something more to that. In World War II, um, maneuver comes back, and what we really have is machine on machine, right? So the technology advances sufficiently where machines are... We have big tank battles, right? So I don't think it was yeah. just the air power, right? Like there's... There's so much on the ground, like the Rommel Desert Fox stories in North Africa, right? Uh, all of that stuff is like a breath of fresh air that these machines are not just going to consume us alive and make war just this awful mess, but that like all the stuff that we're used to, like minute from Napoleonic era and before, like maneuver, bravery strategy tactics ingenuity yeah um all of these things matter again but that's because both sides have it just happens to be that the machines are both able to maneuver at at high speeds against each other yeah and so we're able to recreate what we're used to seeing on the battlefield but it just everybody's with a machine like uh um with a machine that far out clipses the whatever bayonet or whatever they have, which doesn't mean that people didn't get knifed down in World War II or anything. It's just yeah. that the predominant power of the mechanisms of killing are so far greater than the what the human being can deliver by his own power. Yeah, and right? and his and own, and the own power of his body in an offensive sense, right? Yeah. Because World War One was the technology was primarily defensive. Yeah, uh, because we didn't have the ability to. We, we still had horses, you know, rudimentary trucks, yeah, things like that, and the tank was just coming onto the scene. And but the even very those end, were, at the very end, and they were not that great. Yeah, they were terrible. Um, but by World War II, we've kind of mastered some of these things. We're able to turn that into the more uh, offensive, like active, yeah, use of the so thing, which returns the, glory to the people doing the acting. Yeah, and so defense and offense are matched, right? Yeah, but the point is that the human being it creates the illusion that it returned right everything just and then world war one is just a one-off where it was a mismatch or whatever but the 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 technology has eclipsed the human being at that point now we still like world war ii and we like all the stories which you allude to there's a boatload of stories coming from world war ii because the human being has to be inserted into the machine, right? The machines are carcasses. They are, they're just dead metal unless a soul is animating that machine and giving it intent, purpose, yeah. embodying that body, right? Stepping into it. Um, the B-17 is not going to get to Berlin on its own. Mm-hmm. It needs an entire complement of 10 men to get there. Yeah. 
And at that point, the machines are purely bodies. They are, it's primarily just engineered, like the compute, they're not primarily commu computerized. No, right? Not computerized yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, so it's literally machine, body, human, spirit, if you will. Yeah. Ha having to go into it, right? And then be its brain, be its central nervous system. And in a lot of cases, be the power behind the, you know, the cables to actually like turn the airplane. Yeah. There's no like limited hydraulics and things like that, particularly in the flight controls and things like that. Yeah. But think of the wings as like the arms of a giant, right? That some, somebody has like gone into that person, that giant's body and animated that homunculus. And when they're turning the controls, you're like wrenching the arm yeah. up, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's and that's what you're doing, right? Like, uh, like you see in anime, like big Gundams being controlled by robots, right? Yeah. Or big robots being controlled by human beings inside of them. That idea of a spirit inside of a machine is very sexy to us because we like that because spirit is greater than the material. But spirit is superior to machine, right? Yes. So, or uh, to the material, and in that case. Um, so we're able to to treat it like that it it's not it's not a threat to the primacy of the human being because the human being is the sole purveyor and progenitor of spirit yeah there's no there's no radar yeah it's there's not no... it's not threatening the the human supremacy over the machine yeah and and it's all good right and and so then we're able to look at all of the the power and majesty of those battles and all the crazy stuff that happens, right? Like with hurtling through the sky or killing someone miles away with your tank turret, right? Yeah. Um, it's not, we can we can absorb all of that, the, the theater of that, if you would, right? And the spectacle of it, like the ships blowing up in the night, right? Uh, and sinking with oil flame in, yeah. the, in the dark, right? All of the huge power and industrial magic, if you would, of that is not a threat to to the human being at that point. Um, but I think we will find, as we progress past that, that the more we have computers, the more that the machines become automated and the human being becomes incidental to, to the operation of the craft or merely an oversight and is less integral to like the machine being able to do its stuff um the more difficult it is to tell stories about air power um and i think around the time we have gps weapons and stealth and more computerized technology in the gulf war is really when that transition start the worm starts to turn on that sure and because we've taken kind of that spirit mm -hmm. and we've put it into code mm -hmm. and gave the the machinery the ability to make its own decisions and its own logic tree right in there to decide how it's going to execute this thing to a very limited scale right gps like i no longer have to be the guy that has to get into the basket at just the right point at just the right airspeed to get that bomb onto that bridge yeah you're doing less of the work i literally just let some some chump back in a targeting cell with silly 3d goggles or whatever he's got going on right he mensurates some cores for me i punch it into the bomb and i say oh yep weapons away from above the clouds i never see my target nothing yeah there's not much of a not much of a story in that so i think there's that and it wraps up everything 
like everything everything having to do with air power is kind of caught in that progression because naturally we're going to want to move the human being out of it from like a animalistic like what are we doing in warfare right we're trying to kill the enemy and kill have us less of us die yeah right so we're going to make the technology better which means that the more it can be automated, the better it can be. Yeah, and it gives us more standoff. Yeah. From, and like from the time of the longbow, that's what we've yeah. been trying to do, right? Yeah, and if we can remove the human being from the, th- the threat of it, the less chance we're going to die. Like we, we would want to kill people with, imp- with impunity, right, if we could. Yes. Um, we don't want to take risk from like a, a warfighting perspective. Yeah, when risk for glory's sake is yeah. silly. Yeah. Now, it might happen to be that... The progression of all of this technology has a cost in in story and glory and our ability to relate to say a Greek hoplite and to take part in that whole tradition and all these concepts like uh, that have to do with being a warrior and have to do with sacrifice on the battlefield are increasingly anachronistic and um, foolish yeah. uh, and, and that we would not it, it, so it may be that there's a, a cost that we don't like that's associated with that, but the prisoner's dilemma of, like, the, at the end of the day in warfare, we're trying to kill them and not die ourselves, mm-hmm. um, is going to push us in that direction if we can. And just the, the second order co- second order effect of all of that might be that, um, which is a problem. But I don't think it's a it's in, on that sense it's 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 not a we're not going to take risk just to have stories like artificially induced stories when we don't we will not authentically do so from like what the technology provides if that makes sense yeah um the other big piece that i think hurts our air power services you already brought it up the lack of a peer enemy or an authentic enemy that really challenged us yep um because the gulf war is not it um, we, <laughs> yeah, the well, and like the, every, the Iraqi Megs and stuff were not, not even close. Well, when we talk, we talk about that war. It gets it's it's saint it's sainted, right? But sainted, and uh, but primarily for the you know three day ground war and the the maneuver. Yeah, yeah, right. But like, not for the four to five months, six months, whatever it was of air power going in and softening up. Yeah, ahead of that. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, but even that's not it's not a uh, a glorious contest right like we were we were executing we were it was a demonstration of vast superiority yes which which has its own problems which we've talked about on uh i think episode two innovation yeah um right the the demonstration of superiority we we in the in our assessment of that afterwards and what it means for our standing in the world that has implications but that's really what's happening on an air power level was a demonstration of just massive superiority um, against people people that should have been maybe been able to put up more of a fight given that they had Russian SAMs. We were the they're the fourth largest standing army. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, okay, great. BS, right? <laughs> still not a con- fourth largest army of still, conscripts and other people that don't want to be there. Yeah, still still not a contest, right? Yeah, and so it was just a you know a day on a range, right? Of, like. For the most part, right, in terms of what it meant. Well, the highway of death. Yeah. Uh, deathly was a day at the range. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the other big part of it. Um, and there's a lot of directions we could go for. But, but... but that's risk too, right? Like you want a competent enemy. 
because when you defeat a competent en enemy, that provides more glory because your level of risk was increased. There was as an equal or near equal likelihood of you dying or him dying or her. Uh, and in that contest, that human contest, you prevailed yeah. for whatever reason. And there's, there's value in that because I don't think we care that much about the technology. That's not what gets our rocks off. We're human beings, social animals that care about the experience and the emotion of other human beings. We enjoy cool stories of technology, but the things that are deep-seated within us are about the human beings that achieved that thing. And the, the example I'll give you is Charles Lindbergh. Okay. We, you know, not a military aviator. I mean, he might have been done some flying in World War One. He probably did. I don't know because that's not what he's famous for. What he's famous for is crossing the Atlantic, right? Sure. And we remember that name. Everybody in aviation knows that name. People not in aviation know that name because he linked, you know, the new world with the old world in a very, you know, one hop type yeah. of deal, right? And he cut that time down dramatically from yes. taking the week or two across the ocean. What was the name of his airplane? Spirit of St. Louis. Can you tell me the date or even just the year no. that it happened in or where he departed from? St. Louis. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just some trying to just do some test taking. <laughs> no. And like, we don't, I don't, I don't know if he started on which side of the Atlantic. I don't even know. No, he started in America. Yeah. Well, I don't see. I, I don't even know but, that. Yeah, but it's not germane to the story because what we care about is the fact that he crossed the ocean, seemingly impenetrable to airplanes, right? And he turned that into a reality. There's the amount of risk that he took doing that. The if he lost one of his three engines, uh, maybe he went on three engines for a purpose, right? Um, but you're out over the middle of the Atlantic, the Northern Atlantic, at that. So if you crash, and you have catastrophic aircraft failure, you're going down in the North Atlantic and you're going to freeze. You'll die of hypothermia and sink to the bottom and become worm food or fish food rather. And there's nothing you can do about that. Right? Yeah. You, me, F-16 guys that have to cross the Atlantic, all we can all relate to that. That thought of risk and freezing to death and dying floating around in a raft in the middle of the Atlantic. Sure. But we don't care about what type of airplane he had or where he took off from or when he went. None of that's important. So our stories, the ones that we truly care about, are not about the technology. This is my thesis anyway. We care almost strictly about the human experience in there. And that's what we can relate to. Because we have a hard time relating to technology. Which is especially well, by, a problem by, with RPA stories. Well, by definition. By, yeah. We I are, am human. I am not we, technology. We are human beings. We relate to... We we are only... We must necessarily, from the human perspective, because that is our only perspective, yeah, absolutely. relate to things. Absolutely. And we um, keep pushing the human being further and further and further yeah. away from war in the quest for efficiency and prowess and reducing risk to individual humans. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is all noble. But well, it does come at this cost. 
I think it is necessary. I don't. I don't think it's noble. It's it's noble. To, I think it's. I think it's going to happen. It's noble to. It, it's going to happen. But yeah. I'm saying it's noble. It is a bit. Is a valuable goal. To kill more of them, for a lower cost than your own yeah. team's lives. Right. Everybody should be striving for that, and we are, and we're doing it exceptionally well. Yeah. So I think there's a point. If you bring up the Charles Lindbergh thing, I think there's a point where flying. So flying used to be like the shit, right? In terms of like the most cutting edge yep, it was technological thing. thing, right? Like, um, uh, and then it was for a long time. It was, um, we had the, and not just in the military sense, it was in the civilian sense too. Yep. You have the, um, the Schneider cup. You have the the air races that happen here with like all the different planes. I know a lot about the names of the airplanes and who designed them for that. <laughs> um, for the Thompson Trophy um, and all the civilian air races there, where they they were trying to come up with the fastest planes, like push the, the limits. What's the trophy at the Reno Air Races? No, uh, the Thompson the Thompson Trophy does not exist anymore. Okay, um, which is partly it, it ended up it ended after a couple maybe ten years or so after World War Two. Um, because it was no longer flying was no longer the sexiest game in town. Gotcha. Um, space flight bitches. Well, and the nuke. Yeah. And all this other stuff. So in that earlier era, um, the Schneider cup being just to clarify the Schneider cup being like the, the seaplane races that were really popular in Europe where they would develop like Italian, they would have national competitions between all the great nations. Okay. Um, this was like pre-World War II era. Um, to come up with the fastest airplanes that they possibly could. And these were like, no shit, the fastest planes in the world. And it was for like a lot of money, a lot of national prestige, right? And all these countries jockeying and stuff. And then the Thompson Trophy. This is where uh, Howard Hughes and stuff is involved? Howard Hughes more Thompson Trophy. Okay. Which is U.S. land pylon racing. Okay. Um, like the Reno is a descendant of that. Yeah. But the Thompson Trophy was much bigger and like experimental aircraft and people just designing shit in their barns that they think would go for yeah it's like that little weird airplane it's like real short and stubby with the, the gb bit you had a big fucking motor and the tiniest little vertical stabilizer the gb <laughs> uh the, the widow maker that thing was the mystery airship and yeah all this other stuff yeah no, there's, a, there's a ton of really cool planes actually they're, they're really cool but um they uh the howard hughes racer was like in that vein for sure gotcha um i went to the howard r hughes college of engineering and the howard hughes racer or at least a uh, replica was hanging in the that's a very the auditorium plane. of the uh, uh, engineering building the entire time I was there. It's a very sexy aircraft. Yeah, I liked it. Um, flying in that period on the military side as well as was like the cutting edge of like what a human being could do with technology um, was to be in an airplane doing that. Right, you're really pioneering. You're on the the you were on the the furthest frontier. Of what human beings could do yeah. at that point, um, and I also think at that same time, with where we were on that frontier, um, it was easy to view the plane itself as more of the armor of a knight, right? So a knight straps on his armor, right, and he's—it's actually very similar to flying, very and being a like a military pilot. Yeah, you um, sit in that seat and you hit the five-point harness and. Yeah, you're now in this machine, but like technologically advanced compared to say like your average conscript, 
a force multiplier takes a long time to train and develop you. Right. It's very specialized, right? They're not necessarily that great at fighting outside of like their armor and like they have to. Oh, you're saying that like the pilot is the the knight in this case because he's not just some schlep that you can give a pointy stick to and tell him to charge. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. So that there were, and it was easy to like kind of assume that model that essentially they're the plane is the suit of armor and is therefore a suit an extension of the abilities of that human being much like the armor was for a, a, a knight right like the, right the, the 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 armor is over the top of his body and is maintained by it projected he's giving by him it. greater power yeah yeah, but it's all being still generated. It's amplifying his his normal power as a human being, right? Yeah. And, and giving him capabilities that he wouldn't have had. Um, but but being buttressed by that that core human quality. Uh, in the early ages of flight, I think it, it was easy to kind of slip into that model and think like because of how rudimentary the flying technology was, generally speaking, that we are able to say that this you know this this is just an extension of his body right like he's feeling the controls he's flying it it's not a checklist per se it's all intuition and yeah he's understanding the air and like you know all this other stuff um that starts to go away like we talked about earlier when we start introducing more computers and more technology and then the human being becomes more incidental to the airplane right like, yeah um rather than this is an extension of himself he's like well the airplane kind of needs him to be able to get where it needs to go and to do these you know auxiliary tasks yeah but to more of a systems manager yeah but to be clear the the point is not to bring you the pilot to the battle space the pilot is bringing the airplane the body of the airplane to the battle space um so that it can drop bombs it can go fast it just doesn't have a brain smart enough to do it without a pink body in it yet. Yeah. But we're, we're getting there. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. But we're getting there, and we have in some respects, right, mm-hmm. with the RPA. Um, and so that that starts to fall away, and I think that that's in that post-World War II era, and that also coincides with the advent of the nuke and, say, space technology, because air power is no longer the coolest game in town. The Right Stuff book chronicles this beautifully. Yeah. Um, the Everything that was happening at Edwards Air Force Base with flight test was being eclipsed by these other pilots who were going to the Mercury Space Program to be spamming a can. Just sitting on a to rocket. To do nothing. Right, yeah. but they were getting all the glory and all of the national press attention because they were at the new frontier, right? The new boundary of what all that meant. And flying was no longer as cool. Right, flying was the thing that was cool a decade ago. Right, that was when it was the the most pioneering or adventurous aspect of of all that stuff. Which is not necessarily to say that, like, because we still tell stories about the army all the damn time, and there ain't nothing new about the damn army. Right? Yeah, <laughs> um, but the um, but so but within the arc of these technology primary things, the technology it's not just the the person, really. It's the technology and the person. If the technology itself is viewed as sexy and, and something that people really care about and pioneering that the, the technology is meaningful, then we care about the stories surrounding it and it's much more interesting. But if, if, it's, if it's a heavily technological 
setting and that technology is no longer super sexy, then then the stories are not as interesting. Which to be sure, because like... it's because it's still abstract. It's still abstracted away from like raw human experience. I'm running around on the ground getting shot at with my buddies. That's much more visceral from a human perspective. Yeah. So it's it's still abstracted and the technology doesn't have that same pioneering spirit associated with it that gets other people's rocks off. Right. So um it's kind of like a a hedonistic treadmill there, right? So airplanes were big in the 40s and 50s and they were the bleeding edge of what was possible uh with our technology and the human beings that they're to provide you know a spirit to these things but like you know you hear that story 30 times and you're like all right yeah i heard this one before it's kind of boring what's next oh space flight Ooh, that's new and cool right and now we don't even like blink an eye at much space flight stuff like yeah the last cool thing was when spacex sent up you know the first manned spacex flight up to the iss great Doug and Bob, if anybody remembers the names of the, the astronauts, right? Um, they recently just sent th- four civilians, non-astronauts, to orbit the Earth three times, right? Yeah, it's blasé, man. I don't know their names. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, they made I a whole documentary. I'm like, meh. I know, I certainly don't. <laughs> because that's, yeah, it's been done. Like, yeah. what, what have you done for me lately? Uh, from the uh, famous Eddie Murphy Raw series. I think the key is to remember what flying used to mean, and it, it's it's in to think about like what would comparatively be a similar, what would be comparatively a a sea change breakthrough technology that would take would take our breath away in the same way yeah. and capture our imaginations in the same way. Um, right, flying was the the stuff of Icarus of myth, right? The the gods live on Olympus because no human being can get that high, right? The Greek gods. Yeah. Um, we fly over it every day now, right? <laughs> but the, uh, like, it's nothing. Uh, but when people were first flying these planes and flying them more, they're, they're literally doing the stuff out of myth that people during their lifetimes when they were born at that time could not have imagined was possible. Sure. And so it was just the technology bore with it a certain amount of just like, oh my God. And it would take something like a dude going through a wormhole, right? <laughs> like achieving warp speed, right? Well, or like going like something out of, it would have to be something on the level of science fiction. Flying to Mars. Like we would think it was science fiction, Mars to a certain extent, but I think even more aggressive than that, right? That's how incredible flying was. When it first came around. Gotcha. Um, it would have to be more than Mars. Because we can already go to space. It's just pushing it a little further, right? I mean, it may be the equivalent of, like, the Spirit of St. Louis, right? But... I think maybe we underestimate how far Mars really is. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the risk involved with getting there. Sure. Not, like you and me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, so at the end of the day, I think I think flying is just not that sexy anymore. And so it's harder to tell the human stories about it because the human stories are already have this abstract relationship to begin with. And if the technology isn't carrying its weight in terms of lending gravitas to the story, it's just easier to just go, eh. Yeah, and that's that's 
amplified to an extreme degree in the RPA world, right? Yeah. Well, and you can look at um, one more little side detail before, okay. before we get Before we that. get there. All right. Um, you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? I love that movie. I love it too. Um, do you know how big of a fucking deal it was when he was a pilot? Oh, the, and like, the Pan Am guy? Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like fawning over him and it's like he's like a, has so much clout, right? Yeah. Uh, and social prestige with that. Um, that's because of the pioneering status of the flying then. Do you think fly, pilots get that kind of clout now? No. Yeah. Fuck no, they don't, right? No. You can reference the Dos Gringos song, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, about that, right? Just being a fighter pilot. You know, you know the rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Uh, Right, but like th- that's what I'm talking about. Like it, it's it's there's that 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 is a that is a huge problem, and it doesn't mean that there's not stories and there's not cool stuff, but this, flying is not that cool, and it's just more ab- and it's even more abstracted away from the human aspect of it. Yeah, it already was to begin with to a certain extent, and there are more and more layers where between what the human being is doing and then what like a human being as a human being can recognize not yeah. be, not being in that world and they also those stories also kind of you know slowly slip back from like the tactical level like the individual is doing this like i think the despite the uh hurried nature of the affair the number of people that we were able to evacuate from afghanistan relatively quickly and we're stuffing 800 people into the back of these things and the pilots in the front are like I don't give a shit we're getting the fuck out of here <sighs> taking off you know because they're not I mean they, they can't afford to stay and they're not going to like necessarily worry they're like I've carried tanks back there I can carry this many people let's go right um, those stories become more operational like I don't know any of the pilots that did the Berlin airlift but I know the story of the Berlin airlift and how great that was and it was an operational level uh, success. Yeah, it was amazing. So right, you, and we just keep backing up from there. Yeah, because you you say earlier that it's about the we care about the human being in these stories. I I kind of disagree. Actually, I think we care about the technology, and the problem is that the technology is not sexy. Um, and we could try to tell stories about the human beings through there, and be intentional about that. But think about models. When was the last time? you saw a model of an airplane that was focused on the interior of the airplane. Oh yeah, never. The perspective the perspective of the human being, right? Right. What we care about is the outside of the machine, the body, the sexy body of that machine, right? And what it looks like, the the pure technology. The human being is not part of that model, generally speaking, or it's just a little dude in the window of it, right? But that's the focus, and it always has been, I think. And then when we're talking about these earlier air power stories it's we're able to kind of have both but i think we're clearly able to see that the technology is what carried those stories and made it po- made the human the human element possible in the first place okay in the and it's it made it exciting in a way that we were interested in it like in that context like the, what the human being did was exciting in the context of that technology if that makes sense yeah yeah, it does. It's uh, 
but like if you were able to like s artificially separate those out it's like okay it's not as cool if this was just a guy doing this sans Luftwaffe Messerschmitt right or whatever right or Spitfire it's an interesting take it's almost like a technology pornography um, no the spectacle of all of that stuff is yeah. exhilarating and as long as we do not think that the technology part of it is a threat to our premise our supremacy of that technology then we're able to and say enjoy it guilt-free right it's a guiltless yeah. trip but as soon as we're able to see like with the nuke and how advanced computers on planes are getting and how redundant the human beings getting in there it starts to be like oh, that's not very sexy yeah like it's kind of disturbing and not even just disturbing but just i don't care about the guts of the airplane what i care about is the sexy body of it and like it flashing through the sky yeah the outline yeah yeah like not pe people are not paying attention to the engineering the type of engine that's on the inside and, like, of it dials the... look like this like <laughs> yeah. no one gives a fuck about that it's the the myth of the the this the mythology and the spectacle of that technology but the more we talk about the specifics and the more advanced that technology gets the less sexy it gets because it starts to become a threat and not just pure myth being being mainlined yeah right um have you seen any uh artist renditions of the next generation air dominance fighter this is a generation six yeah uh concept and it fucking looks good <laughs> uh it is sexy to be 21 looks pretty sexy uh and future or current rpas aside from the mq1 and the nine look pretty sexy I personally think the MQ-9 looks pretty cool, <laughs> but that's just me. It's the deadliest plane ever in the history of our power. <laughs> and the, uh, uh, <laughs> but we have a hard time telling stories yeah. about that because we, like I said earlier, we're a bit of an extreme version of this technology kind of taking over and the human just being there to make sure it gets to exactly where it needs to where it needs to be and we're even further remotely removed because of the satcom links and the you know air-conditioned cockpit or ground control station that we're flying it in right so there we're, we're, we're removed not only from the the vehicle itself but we're removed from the battle space uh, as we give life to this otherwise lifeless hunk of carbon fiber and electronics but that, that threshold keeps getting pushed further and further, right? So automatic takeoff and land is essentially here. Rip sensors. Yeah. So at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all going to go. It's, Rip it's, pilots at some point. Exactly. And so as this, the technology continues to march along, we're just going to slowly remove ourselves. And I think the fighter guys and bomber guys are stuff like, ah, yeah, that's, that's just RPAs. They're going to be you know kind of a flash in the pan it's coming for i think everybody. it's coming for them too right it's coming for everybody and as i said i think in episode one aviation is being commoditized it's becoming so easy you can just buy parts off the shelf slap some some shit together put a computer in it and say go here and hold this altitude this airspeed at this range from this center point etc and you won't have to think about it it'll take off on its own it'll land on its own it'll tell you when it has to go home 
it'll you know what i mean yeah all that's all that's coming yeah because in the current iteration of the mq9 and the mq1 there are a ton of great stories to be had yes uh they don't get told maybe we can talk a little bit about why that is in particular we've already talked about being removed further but i think there's other reasons as well that of course blend onto that um so keep me honest on that but as far as like the fighters thinking that this is you know this is just rpa and you know we're on this side of the history of air power that is more like knights in the sky we're on this side of that line and then we're going to draw a line and very clearly on the other side we're still strapping on the armor yeah and then on very clearly on this other side is the commoditized rpa where the human being is deliberately is literally have been taken out of the body of the aircraft which doesn't mean that we're not doing very human things with it and that it requires skill and courage in some sense right um and but that's them and we're us yes. right yeah um they're on that side of history we're on this side of history that's bullshit we they are all caught up in this like progressive commoditization of air power there, there's no technical limitation to flying an f-16 remotely yeah we do it here at holloman yeah. Um, with the early models right on the north side of the base with the test group. There's no reason you couldn't put a uh, better uh, radar or better antenna system, things like a, an ASA system, Advanced Electronically Steered Array, and go 600 knots and still be able to track satellites and all that fun stuff, right? So there's no technical limitation as to why... We haven't employed those into combat other than it's expensive as hell sure. to, to dope all that stuff out. But clearly it's coming, right? Because if we can do F-16s, which is all fly-by-wire, that's just a computer, right? Yeah. So. Well, and theoretically, the F-22 modulates its Gs to not squish the pink body. Yeah, of course. But the body, the airframe itself can turn way harder than what a human being can survive. That's why they should put women in all the F-22s. Every pilot should be a woman. Women can withstand Gs better than men. Shorter stature, more body fat. Okay. Okay. Fun aside. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the point is that they're all, my point is that they're all caught up in this abstract, this process that starts with World War One of abstracting the human body out of combat. It just happens to be that in that chain of progress, manned piloting is where the technology lay at the time. But it's part of this arc. Right, and, and it culminates in some major respects with the RPA. When we finally were like, hey, we can control this without a human being exactly in it. If they could, they, so are you familiar with the Kettering bug? No. This was a unmanned airplane, more akin to a cruise missile, but it had biplane wings, it had a motor, it had a little trolley that it launched from, and it was a flying bomb essentially think like earliest possible version of a uh, V1 rocket, right? And they basically spun the motor a number of times and said, hey, all right, after you do this many revolutions, 
kill the motor and you're going to dive down onto whatever's beneath you. Okay. And the, the thought there being that they would change how many revolutions it was based upon the distance to the target. Right. So very rudimentary. Uh, I think they probably had some concept of, you know, airspeed versus ground speed and uh, true airspeed and all that other fun stuff. So they were able to kind of calculate that in to factor in some weather and sure. things like that. But my point here is that we have been trying to do unmanned aviation and take the pilot out of the airplane. Oh, V1 rockets. From as Germany. early yeah. as possible, right? Like the earliest days of aviation are about, can I do this without a pilot? Yeah. And we've just haven't been, haven't been able to do it yeah. until like the advent of computers and uh, we started getting really, 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 really good at those things, right? Uh, to the point of artificial intelligence and things like that, which, by the way, an AI smoked real-world F-16 pilots in a sim uh, earlier this year, I think. Like, 5-0. The AI flying one sim and the pilot flying the other. Like, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming for you guys hard and fast. Yeah. Just like it's coming for us. <laughs> yeah, but the point, the point, the point is that there's been this, there's this arc of progress of trying to get the, increase technology, increase its power, and get the human being out of there. Yeah. Right? Like, all of that is tied together, and they're just one stepping stone on that, on that path, man. And so there's no, there's no line between the RPA and the F-16, right? That, that sometimes I think people in the Air Force take comfort in that because they it's easier to draw a line with that knights in the air mentality all the way back to Greece and then read the Iliad and be like, yeah, I'm part of this too in the same way. When there's a fateful prog progress that's being happening and the, the nature of war is changing. Yeah. Um, and by, and by you know, the kids are nature of war, you know, all this stuff. But the, uh, <laughs> I, the, I think the nature of, an, of war is enduring. Uh, yeah, as I I made the little thing there just so we wouldn't have this conversation. <laughs> All right, but we won't the, go uh, to a Klaus Witzian thing. The because uh, um, uh, that's bullshit. What he's but the about. character of war changes because yeah, that's a, it's a bullshit dichotomy. <laughs> it's a bullshit dichotomy. Klaus Witz is wrong. Uh, at some point, a difference in degree and character changes one's nature, and uh, that's my point. Is that like we've changed the character of war so much that the nature of it is changing. And, and that's there's no artificial distinction like church state character over here nature over here yeah like uh, at some point you're just like using technology to like mass obliterate people with complete impunity right uh, somehow right like we could send a swarm of nanobots to just like murder a whole nation right and it would just go person to person right right something out of sci-fi right would you call that war but that's how war would be fought right or we would do like have a simulation like, I think there was a movie made like this. Have a simulation of a big war. And then whichever side loses the simulation, that number of people just, like, goes and just, like, walks into the gas that chamber. Was, uh, that was, I mean, there might have been a movie about that, but that was a famous Star Trek yeah. episode from the original series. Yeah. So that, that kind of shit, right? Would you call that the nature of war has remained steady and unchanging? Like, fuck you, Klaus <laughs> We're talking about some shit that you couldn't, that you, due to your place in history, you were not conceived. You were, you were not able to conceive. Of. Right. So, you know, your, your, your distinction has been revealed to be artificial and I will lord that over you, Klaus Um <laughs> Although, if you actually read. Although he did get it right, war is a continuation of politics by another means. 
See, I think that's wrong too. Oh, well, like, right. I, we'll, I just, we'll I just think, every, I just think everything's wrong about Klaus Woods. Um, well, I don't, <laughs> not everything. I just think like the bumpers that people rip from Klaus Woods. Yeah. Like it's such a, it's so stupid the way people like rip the bumpers from him. Um, <laughs> because if you actually read like the surrounding stuff, the surrounding chapters to that continuation of politics, he talks so much about like bravery on the battlefield and valuing like the warrior spirit. It's like, it's hard to imagine a guy steeped in writing like that steeped in Napoleonic warfare and like what it meant to hold the line and all that would just be like, yeah, you know, war is a pol- war is politics by other means. Uh, and like not care about the warrior or any of that. I'm not saying you didn't stuff. care about the warrior. No, but I'm saying the way that the bumpers get ripped yeah. off, like it kind of gets used in that context. All right. Long sidebar about Klaus Witzian stuff. When we're, we're talking about RPAs and storylines. Yeah. I don't remember where we went before with Klaus Witz. I know I was saying like this character in Nature of War changes <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I was like. Yeah, so as the technology about. progresses, right? What what war is is slowly changing yeah right um and i contend that we're just everybody is just gonna try and get further yeah further well you th- further like away. i said you you're going to no matter what right like that's that is it's a prisoner's dilemma at worst or at best right uh where even if you don't want to do that you're going to be forced into it and in fact you should want to which is what you said it's a, yeah. it's a good goal to have um so is there any way forward is there any way like how do we kind of regain some of the i don't know the glory and the power of aviation in modern times right because it's it's hard to do and it's especially hard in the rpa world and we've tried to tell the story we like wrap a lot of it up in secrecy and make people feel like they can't talk about you know what they've done and you know more general generalizations and to some degree some people cannot for legitimate reasons uh, but we have tried this before we've tried to humanize RPA we I mean we used to call them un- you know uh, UAVs unmanned aerial vehicles right and that focuses entirely too much on the technology and so you know this is probably 2010 2011 2012 something like that uh the nomenclature uh, became remotely piloted aircraft to emphasize the role of the human being in the system we are we are hot for man in the loop to yeah. the max extent possible right and then subsequently after that, like a couple of years later, like we really started to kind of push more of a RPA pilots can get PTSD as well. Like we're very much involved and we're uh, tied to these conflicts in a way that other people are not necessarily tied to it because we have the uh, the near kill, the the close kill. I don't I don't remember what the exact term was, but you know, imagine yourself watching this guy for three months, right? As he comes and goes from whatever he's doing, he comes home and he, you know, hugs his kids and things like that. Right. Uh, and then you just wait for the opportune moment and you plug him because he was, um, while he was, I'm going to pour myself one while he was away from his wife and his kids. He's out, you know, 
preparing the next round of explosives inside of to be put into the back of some other car and driven into a checkpoint somewhere right um and that was the story that we were telling is that we were, were emotionally connected to what's happening on the battlefield and that had a lot of a lot of stories of dudes sleeping in closets and things like that which i think was really more of an just a necessity in the because you're on mids and your wife and your kids are up and you're trying to get into the darkest, quietest place. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, yeah. and it wasn't a, I need to run into my closet to get away from the the PTSD that I'm chasing, right? Um, but that's been it. Everywhere else I go, I can't put, I'm not allowed to like highlight what my last name is. Uh, you can take your name tag off. Yeah, things like that. Like we're, Can't talk about the call sign. Yeah, and, and that's more of an operational thing, right? So once the conflict is over, I think you can probably talk about stuff, but you don't want, like, in the moment, you don't want somebody to hear that call sign X is inbound, and so they're like, oh, shit, I know what that means. Boop. You know, and they go they go run and hide, right, taking away the opportunity for, for targeting and stuff. So that's more of an operational-level concern, I think, um, not a uh, grander strategic thing, because we talk about call signs of, you know, former conflicts all the time, right? Sure. Like, uh, particularly Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. But, but anyway, given that we are so centered on technology and dude, 90, I'll say eight, 98% of the people that fly these airplanes don't know how it works. They don't understand what the, various computers in their control station is doing they don't understand the pathway from there and like how the whole of the architecture works right and so to a certain degree they're passengers in this this airplane just do I, you understand how your body works uh, do you understand how the neurons and the electrons interact <laughs> like have your hands fire and also are you I, a passenger I, in your own body i, I think it's to a, a degree yes um yeah so i don't necessarily <laughs> think that that's I think that's... An, uh, I, know, I know that salt is important. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> you going to pass your GK session on your next stand-up? I think so. On your body. Uh, <laughs> the, All right, plowing ahead. Right, so it's even more difficult for us because the human element is further removed for a number of reasons. You want me to hold you honest on this. What are some of the other reasons you think we have not been able to tell good stories inside of this RPA community? So I think there are good stories to tell. Um, I will tell you, and I'm, sh- I'm assuming you agree with me. Please, Vince, if you do not, um, that like on a, on a cast raid, the human being, at least with the way that the MQ-9 is right now and his thinking ability and what he does and his skill is vastly important, determinant, and admirable, certainly. Um, especially if things are not going so great or the JTAC is confused or, or whatnot, right? And you're able to save the day. Um, you can separate a lot of quality in terms of the pilots. For right? sure. Like you can separate the wheat from the chaff and there's a lot that's to admire and to respect for people who are good at that and there's a lot of skill there, human skill. Um, so, right, there, there are stories to tell, I think, like around that and around other things, mm-hmm. too. Right? That's just one example. 
that the MK9 has the ability to tell stories like that. Um, so we are more removed from the technology, like even more so than a plane. And I was saying the plane, planes have problems already, right? F-16, like where are the F-16 stories, right? They're not, they're not around. Uh, so the last air-to-air uh, -air kill in the U.S. military was an F-18 over Syria. Okay. Um, shooting down a Syrian aircraft, right? Prior to that, it was 18 years <laughs> before before that uh, was the last time anybody shot down another airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a sign of how dominant we are. Nobody even wants to bother flying against us. Sure. Right? Um, and so we've... I mean, are there any more wars to fight? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? At least as far as air power goes. I think it's resurging there in the Pacific. Sure. Um, but we're kind of in a malaise right now. Yeah, so there's no, there's nobody to fight. Although that's not true for us. Right? We've been hacking away for a long time in, in conjunction with the army right yeah um like 20 years in fact almost but uh yeah uh, we also have we have the same problem that the technology has a con in keeping with what, what we were talking about earlier that if the tech the technology isn't exhilarating then it's hard since it's already abstract. It's hard. We're, we're even more abstract. We're, we have the same problem as F-16s, but even more so. Yes. Because we have to sit there and go like, well, we're not even there, but we are because we're looking at a screen and like it still matters. You know, our decisions and our ability still matters because when the in close air support, right, like we can be the difference between life and death for, you know, yeah. the right people the right people living and the wrong people dying, right? That that's what we want, and your skill and I mean, we probably want to... the right, the correct people dying and the yeah, it was wrong probably... people living. Uh, I I don't know how you say that. <laughs> well, we want we want we want bad people to die and good people. To there live you go, bad and good. However, bad and good. That's a sure. good dichotomy. Sure. All right. We want the the dark side of the force too. <laughs> anyway, the um. The uh, you don't know the power of the dark side. I don't know the power of the RPA. <laughs> Come to the dark side, everyone. RPAs. All right. The um, the uh, so but we have to sit there. and We have even more disclaimers up front. Like, well, like I'm flying the aircraft, but it's only got, but it's got a two second delay, and I I'm technically over here in in Warrensburg, Missouri, and I can take a pee break whenever I want. Yeah, but like, but when I'm there, like I'm invested and I'm doing it, right? And my shit, so and it does, it does, it does matter. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. But there's more like technological disclaimers we have to do. Caveats. To like, and... Caveats to like get the person to like understand what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. Because it's harder. Well, right? what we're doing is more yeah. is different and it, and it takes it to a, another level. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to a friend and he described it as kind of like, it's like a cloud, right, of like internet services. Yeah. I don't need to know exactly which computer such and such file is saved on if it's stored on an Amazon cloud. I just know that I go to the middle interface of the thing and I get that effect of downloading this file. It's the same thing with 
Yeah, it doesn't. I could fly an airplane anywhere in the world. There's just a cloud of RPAs floating around out there that I can just plug me into, patch me in, and boop, there we go. You know what I mean? So we we have abstracted air power with another layer of technology in between us that an F-16 and somebody else doesn't have to do, right? So explaining that abstraction and that additional layer between us and the physical aircraft is harder to do. Yeah. And so that, that's why the that's why the civilian population doesn't give a fuck about an RPA. Oh, bro, you fly drones? That's cool. Like they, drones is the term, man. No, I know. Like, it's if, only the Air Force that calls them RPA. If you wanna, if you wanna talk to anybody about what you're doing outside of the Air Force, you have to say drone. You start saying RPA, you gotta like, you are, you're immediately gonna have to go. They're gonna go, huh? You're gonna go, oh, remotely piloted aircraft. That's what we call it in the Air Force. That's what we call a drone in the Air Force. Like, oh, a drone. I always put and then it you're, as like, and you're already there. Well, I fly very large remote control airplanes. Uh, you you would know them as drones. And like, oh, and they immediately know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And they're thinking of the hunter killer robots that we do fly. Yeah. <laughs> but if you say RPA, just yeah, yeah. You're, you're gonna have to do some you're gonna have to you you're just preempting it with your little spiel there. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you're you're just saying RPA to please the Air Force gods. Yeah. <laughs> and then bringing it down to, you know, yeah. the local yokels level. Another problem we have is we have a mixed bloodline, so we are famous. Well, famously, but we are both uh, we are both ISR and fighter heritage, right? We have our ACC fighter plane heritage, and we have our ISR heritage that comes with like all the screeners and yeah. Are, are you talking about stuff. like where like the air crew and everything came from, or are you talking about the larger capability of what the airplane is? Like the airplane is. A platform that can do ISR exceptionally well and can do strike exceptionally well. Yes. Okay. Well, no. What I'm saying, yes, that's true. What I'm saying is that you're not saying that we have a bunch of RC-135 pilots and a bunch of F-16 pilots, because that happened for a long time. And no, a lot of people thought that, that. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And I'm saying that overall, we have mixed bloodline. We're a mutt. We are not RC-135. We are not. U2, mm-hmm. right? We are not an F-16, but we have elements of both those in our community. I'm talking about our community's culture okay, okay. and our mindset. Um, and I think, Greg, that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, but talking on my ass again, here we go. Um, <laughs> right, like the ISR community is a little more reticent to to want to proclaim about all the cool stuff we're doing. There's a lot of all the there's a lot of ways and means wrapped up there. Like the classification, the reason things are typically classified is because of you're you know potentially going to expose ways and means, and the ISR community is very steep in that. Yeah. So, however, yeah, and so like the building is much more likely to be just a building, right? We're not going to be our stuff published in the newsletters in the same way. Where I think like fighters and bombers to a certain extent are much more willing to just go like, hey, and maybe there's less constraint on them, like you said, like in terms of the ways and means stuff. But like, hey, we just did this cool shit. Like we're gonna fucking get on a podium and talk about it. We're gonna like have it in the base newsletter, and we're gonna like give these guys medals publicly and talk about the cool shit that they did. There was uh and like that's way way less likely to happen in our community, even though. 
we still have some of the heritage that like point pulls us in that direction there's this other side of it which is much more like we just need to be quiet and professionally doing our stuff and just shut the hell up about everything when i was uh assigned to the 20th i was getting ready to deploy uh to kandahar to a theater uh, yeah to kandahar and so even now you're like to to a theater i was gonna say to centcom um you know data mast and i was literally like months months away from going and i go to this sporting kc the kansas city uh yeah. What do they call it? M- M- MLS, Major League Soccer game. And at that game, <laughs> at the beginning of the game, these four A-10 pilots, so it was a reserve unit yeah. at Whiteman as well, they walk out Kansas onto City, the field. The Kansas City Hogs. Yeah, they, they walk out onto the field in uniform. Hey, we're going to Afghanistan here in like a month. And like this was their kind of you know, part of their little send off and stuff like that. And I was like, why do they get to talk about this thing? And I have to take my name tag off when it comes to like, are we, are we really like that wrapped up in this ISIS kill list thing? That's dumb. Yeah, like, I realize that having everybody's names on a thing is not good, you know. I'm not worried about it because I didn't have a Facebook account and I wasn't on <laughs> the uh, ISIS kill list in 2014 and 15. I know plenty of people that were. Um, and so I can understand that they have, a, you know, another level of concern about it. I did not, and uh, thus I thought I should just be able to walk around and be like, yep, I'm going to Kandahar. But I couldn't because of just the, the way this community is. Yeah. No, I, I, I think largely that's a, like, as you, I, I think that story demonstrates this. I mean, there might be some stuff that I'm not seeing about all the ways and means, but I think it's largely a phantasmagorical, right? Like, it's a self driven fantasies yeah for sure or like your projection of all of that stuff well there's some operational you know opsec considerations i mean oh you're going to kandahar great we've we've known there have been mq9s at kandahar since i don't know 2006 or something like that right like this isn't this isn't fresh news to anybody um no i think there's a there's the isr intel community aspect of our of our culture yes they're they're just much more quiet restrictive yep. on that and i think for the most part that the telling stories about what we do has been a victim of some of that yeah yeah i would agree uh as we've now like extricated ourselves from most of our conflicts here in the middle east i think there's probably i don't want to say probably i'm hopeful that there is a small resurgence in some t- stories so some of these stories can slowly start to come out. Uh, probably as part of a, a larger project of talking about what RPAs did and achieved kind of the strategic and operational levels inside of Afghanistan and Iraq to a larger degree and how revolutionary this hunter-killer robot, for lack of a better term, Right, really has been to air power, and so inside of the larger story. But you know, when you're saying that, you're talking about the technology. 
like what you're you right. just said. You're right. But as as we tell as we tell the story of the last you know twenty years, and I mean Afghanistan's airplane really is the MQ9, yes. right? And the MQ1. Yeah, to a lesser degree, but yeah. <laughs> God bless. Oh, well, I flew the MQ1 as well, so settle like settle I have, I have plenty of respect for the MQ1. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to be like, oh, I flew the MQ-1. You're just an MQ. I'm an MQ-1 and MQ-9. Chad, you're just a, <laughs> you came for just the MQ-9. I am hoping in that, inside of that story, that grander story, right, that somebody does a six episode series on, uh, you know, on HBO or whatever. Yeah. Like there's a lot more air power stories and guys can get on there like yeah i was flying this airplane here and here's some of the footage from that strike and this is what was happening you know what i mean and you can tell these stories they can get out to a larger populace because all that stuff has been hidden but there's a ton of incredible stories in the middle of all that you know that doesn't get told and hopefully on a future episode of this podcast we can talk to some of those stories yeah I think though that's all fucked. <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? In that the uh, like we might be able to tell better stories about the way the MQ9 is now, but all all the ability to tell stories about war is, is going to be fucked. Um, we are not going to be able to relate our human experience to the Iliad like anymore, right? And like it's already difficult enough as it is yeah. now um, to try to jump through those hoops to like relate to what uh hector and achilles and ajax were, what homer was writing about there yeah but uh uh as the human being gets pushed f- f- further and more aggressively out at exponential speeds which is what's coming yeah right? it's increasing yeah, the rate is the, increasing. the rate the rate at which the, the human being is being pushed out of all of that um is increasing um nobody's gonna want to write a damn story about a guy playing starcraft like blowing up a bunch of people with impunity. Yeah. I think there already is. I mean, that's what it's going to be, right? When you take our, yeah. our tax it. Yeah. I think, I think there <laughs> Just already imagine is. imagine that with StarCraft. I think there already is a certain amount of shame around, like, the degree at which we, like, hunt. Right? Because, like, yeah. we, we, we talk about the enemy, right? And if, you, if you're in an RPA sock, you know that the word, the term of art is hunting. Right? Like, we're hunting. Right? And it's it's not we're fighting the enemy we're in battle right right um, hunting to be is very clear different. we're seeking a specific individual based upon you know what is supposed to be ample intelligence telling us that this person is you know involved in action sure. or we're eliminating sure. him. so so like hunting has a the sure but the term is hunting that people use all right I'm gonna go hunt today right okay it's it's much more like shooting a deer in a blind stand and it, than it is like battle where the enemy has the ability to kill you and you have the ability to kill him. And I have respect and fear of this other entity, right? I am, I am just shooting something. Right. And for sure, cause we're, we're flying in, I mean, the Afghans didn't have an air force yeah. and when they did, it was our air force. So the Taliban and their affiliated, uh, tribes and personnel and whatever you want right organizations they didn't have an air force so we were flying around with impunity yeah which is what you're getting at and we are hunting. which is which is similar, and we are hunting which is similar to a hunter in a deer blind just waiting for a hapless you know 
dude with eight points. Dude, this is the this is the language that people use in the sock. Why are we why are we obscuring this? We're not. Press. Okay. Um the uh But the, the point is that it's just a little shameful. And it's and it's not as good to talk. It's not as exciting to talk about that, especially in the context of war. Yeah. Right? Like hunting story is very different than a war story. Yeah, like yeah. Some guys Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, a little bit like if you're an elephant could turn and kill you or something like that, or hunting a tiger or something like that. But even or then, a hippopotamus. Yeah, or even then, huh? most dangerous, the most, most dangerous animal, animal in Africa. Africa. <laughs> Do we just become best friends? All right. The um, the uh, um, so I think there's there's and and the, it's just going to become more blatantly like that. Now, in this case, the stuff that we do requires a lot of skill and there's a lot of stories to tell but it's harder to relate that to the pitched grandiosity of a of a war story in the same way it's more unilateral um, yeah it's more unilateral, and, and that's probably what it is it's the unilateral laterality unilaterality what's the yeah the unilateral nature uh, of these latest conflicts the, the great mismatch in actual power uh basically for the wars of 2000 through 2020 right it gives people the distaste for the whole thing because there's it it doesn't feel like fair play but who said war is supposed to be fair it's not you want to find every advantage that you have and exploit it to the maximum extent possible to limit a war to as short as time as possible right um. Yeah, and from the people executing this technology, certainly as it increases, at least in the execution of that technology, it's going to feel a lot more like hunting, or just like doing something that's unilateral. And, what and, what and, I mean by that? Yeah, and I think that's kind of specific to the last twenty years, right? Because our future competitors right now, like well, the ones so that are I'm, on the horizon, if, if I'm will doing, be less so. If I'm doing StarCraft on a taxi, that like, like directing aircraft to blow shit up. Yeah. Right. I am not killer being killed in that moment. Now, if I fuck up my job, maybe we all die two weeks from now. But yeah. But uh, like in that moment, I'm playing the game StarCraft and like whatever. Right. That, Potentially. That pitched back and forth is not happening in the same way. Yes, but future conflict. So conflict in the 2030s, 2040s, things that are on the horizon will be use a the preferred term pure conflict is what we're anticipating right thank you (laughs) the podcast preferred term is peer not necessarily near peer um and so that that hunting aspect of this this impunity with which you know rpa pilots hovered above the battlefield and basically chose who lived and who died you know to use a a metaphor of the the valkyries right that will not be the case nearly as much in the future because the enemy will have considerable or a considerable greater amount of capability to inflict damage upon us. Sure. Not like me specifically in my air conditioned, you know, cockpit, but you know, the Navy carrier hanging out off the coast and, you know, launching airplanes to go into, you know, whatever Pacific power that we intend to, to fight. Right, um, 
And so you, for RPAs, that, that, that hunting aspect will... Sure. What I'm saying is if you're not locked in a conflict, right? Kill or be killed. Yeah. Right. Uh, if I'm standing in a line fighting you, right? Uh, in a hoplite line or a musket line, if we want to advance all the way up to the Civil War. Yeah. Right. My thrust or misstep into your chest could be me killing you or it could be you killing me depending on how that goes yes right when we advance to world war ii that it's that's in the same moment what i'm saying like that's the same fusion moment like life and death is in the same moment yeah the same experience when we go to say more technological fighting say subs or airplanes subs are another one that has a lot of romance around it too actually so it's kind of the inverse that's the that's the cold and the pressure of the depths <laughs> that's the abyss there's a lot of <laughs> no but i was saying though, there's a lot of romance around absolutely. The, the mystery of the sea being penetrated oh, absolutely yeah, yeah. so this is it's kind of the inversion of the the romance of the, of the sky is the romance of the sea with the sub but in both of those cases right you are either shooting someone down or being shot down but those are not actually happening in the same moment right there's a there's a brief interlude between those moments where they're they're touching. Those moments are touching where the guy could do a split as a couple. But when I'm killing him, I'm in his six and I'm shooting him. And mm-hmm. I in that in that moment I have complete impunity for him. And I can change very rapidly. Yeah. But there's not a single moment of kill or be killed where those things are on the same exact same plane of existence. Same thing with the sub. I'm either shooting the convoy with complete impunity with my torpedoes or I'm being death charged by the destroyers hoping not to be blown up yeah while I run away after having just been yeah attacking but the convoy I'm, but so those moments of killing or being killed are touching but not but not completely divorced and like with the RPA and like further technology here and the impunity they're 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 that's pulled apart even further yeah yeah um, to the point where the RPA they're not even touching right yeah um and what i'm saying is like that that separation this of, is like a, if i get shot down all right cool yeah give me the next airplane in the stack let me just connect to that one but that separation that. of being killed and killing um changes the nature of the stories that we can tell um and there's still a lot of skill to be told like right impunity choosing who lives and who dies like you like you said um yes now there's a ton of skill in like figuring that out and doing it right yeah. And fucking it up has a lot of consequences. And so there's a lot of stories that can be told there. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, but that separation, I think, does limit it. And it's only going to continue that with other forms of technology. And it's going to bleed over into all of warfare. So, like, the ability to tell stories about warfare um, are not going to be this exciting moment at the heat of battle of kill or be killed, which we are used to. No, not at all. And that which slowly changed... But it accelerated, and now, right from from moment that connects to the Iliad very clearly in the Civil War, to where these technology is starting to morph that experience of kill or be killed, but they're still relatively close to each other. But there are moments of pure impunity, right? Yeah. And then uh, to where now they're being pulled apart much more aggressively, and the more that that happens, the harder it is to just to tell stories about all that. And I, I think that's where it's all going. I think we can tell some... I think we can do a better job of being a little more stentorian about our experiences as in the last 20 years and what we're going to continue to do just to 
get our story out here now but rest assured it's only going to get harder and it's going to be increasingly scarce so this is a big problem i don't know how you exactly solve it and keep people motivated i think you have to to a certain extent stop talking about all the old stories and the warrior stories because you're creating you're creating false optimism and you're creating cynics by holding this up and then they get into this world and they see how technologized how technological it all is and it's like dude i'm i'm not fighting the air war in world war ii i'm not <laughs> i'm not where's all the glory where's all this this is so technocratic yeah and so we have to we have to rebrand how we talk about the human element in that way. So I think that's going to involve a major effort to change the the way we talk about. Because if we keep talking about warriors and warrior spirit and stuff like that, people are just going to come here. What the fuck are you talking about when they get in here and they see what we actually do? Well, um, so I think long term, you're right. No, and I'm, we're and screwed. I, and I'm talking very long term. Yeah, I'm talking about that. Like, I think long term we're screwed. Right, air power, and maybe this is going to be. Muff's catchphrase, air power is being commoditized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so. Well, it turns out that the plowing ahead thing is a Bill Burr fucking thing. Is it? So I must have like, picked, <laughs> I must have picked it up implicitly from Bill Burr. And like, I, I realized this actually like two days ago. Yeah. I'm you heard like, him say it. You're like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. And I was like, is this what like, I was listening to Bill Burr and like my subconscious? Because I didn't think I was stealing it from anybody. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, everything's dude, a remix, dog. Nobody has original I, thought. I get that. I'm not going to stop. But, it, but I can't say it's my catchphrase. I can just. Say it's my thing. It is a but, catchphrase. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so technology. Bill Burr, you're great. Fuck you. I'm taking. <laughs> air, it. I'm taking. It. Air power is being <laughs> commoditized, right? And the natural. I think the natural progression of this thing goes to automatic takeoff and land for RPAs. To automatic re- air, air-to-air refueling of RPAs. To they basically just become persistent munitions. The data links get piped back to an AOC somewhere. One autonomous weapons, right? That, yeah, that are able to filter and select. Right, they just want these things criteria. up there flying around. They're going to inject yeah. some AI, and the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center is already working on something kind of like this. Uh, but target ident- acquisition and identification, and then routing that to a human being to make a decision on whether yes, engage, no, do not engage. Right, and. This is what air power is going to become. Is going to become a series of persistent munitions that are just up there. And if you read the Nightfall series in the Air and Space Power Journal, it illustrates a future where air to air becomes completely automated. For the most part, you fly these airplanes up there. You see these, you know, red tracks coming through your tax sit, showing you two MiG twenty nines that are inbound to try and kill your four ship of rpas that are on their way to blow up you know some target and you click two of them and you peel them off to go engage this thing and with computer vision and the ability to pull 14 g's and the ability to you know purposely go into uncoordinated flight and all this other fun stuff and just fire a quick little brrr, blast the bullets into some critical components on that on that airplane because the computers can calculate this five thousand times a second right Sure. It is going to be the end of the uh, knight on horseback strapping on his armor and going face to face. Yeah, in any against capacity. the enemy, right? In and, any capacity. And yeah. dude, yeah, and the long range air to air missiles and the AMRAMs and all that fun stuff is already taking away a lot of that glory. 
The F-22 just sits up there, finds something 300 miles out. Oh, BVR, yep, engage, boop. And away it goes. You know, and preferably they're sitting out in front of all the missile trucks, all the B-1s that are hiding back there behind them, right? Just plinking shit off. And it becomes this techno war where it's less and less human on human and there's less and less glory. So stories will become harder to tell. And I think that was a... Uh, that was a problem for the Air Force. It's a huge problem. Like as an, or, as an organization. Like it's a it's, huge problem. Right? So like it, what are the virtues that we're going to try to sell to people about the human side of being a part of this? And why should the Air Force continue to exist? Yeah. Like how... So you're saying this airplane's always flying and uh, how is this not just long-range artillery? Yeah. Can we bring that into the, the you know, like how can we, like how can we reorganize? Like clearly we're we're not opposed to reorganization, right? We just did this with all the space assets. Yeah. So what happens when air power becomes so point and click that you don't really need pilots anymore? Yeah. Just some some managers. Yes. And why can't those be army guys? Yeah. So we so we have to be able to tell compelling stories now if we have some goal of persisting this this idea of air power or this idea of the air force sure if the people within the air force are going to always want the air force to continue right Uh, yeah they will (laughs) they won't just let it die right that decision is going to have to come from someone like the reorganization has to happen on on a large on a higher level yeah there's going to be some catastrophic event well, or typically that you to or just something has, like or that. something has changed so much that's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah, like, cool. We don't have a, we don't have cavalry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like where are, where are all our cavalry schools? I mean, I guess we have armored cab and stuff, but like, you know, we don't, you know what I'm saying though? Like, it changed all that. Right? Yeah, there's no dragoon units, right? So yeah. Well, awesome, man. Uh, so we're fucked in the long run, but we can do better in the short term talking about the, the humans yeah and, and, I, and I think we should yeah. air power needs to find some some new stories some better stories that might be difficult in the RPA community as a it's whole cha- it's challenging for a lot of the reasons we talked about though like, and, the, and it's multifaceted challenging on, in a multifaceted way yes and specific to the RPA community we need to tell more stories better stories more openly yeah. And be more proud of the fact that we just, you know, laid pipe for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cool. Um, all right, man. I think that's uh, going to bring episode three to a close. Thanks pretty good. See ya. They'll be happy to know that as you saw me go.